So as we have been trekking through these verses to the book of Romans, we have officially gotten to a place that many of you didn't think that we would get to. That's the second part of a four-part series through the book of Romans. We have officially ended part one. The book of Romans is all about the gospel, the good news, that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again on the third day, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so the gospel is all about Christ dying and being resurrected. And so Paul writes the book of Romans, and there's four sections to the book of Romans, as you just saw in the video. We've been dealing in the first four chapters of the book of Romans all about the gospel and how it relates to sin. Uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The first four chapters of the book of Romans are all about sin. Romans 1, speak of those despicable sins. Romans 2, uh, the, the sins that, that Christians uh, commit and how all of our sin uh, disrupts uh, our, our, our emotion. It disrupts who we are and it, it hurts our relationship with God. We also saw that every time we sin, before we came into a relationship with God, our sin caused the wrath of God to meet us. And so every time we sinned, we were met with the wrath of God every single time. And so uh, for the past few weeks, we've been looking, getting ready for this section two, part two of a four-part series, The Gospel and Hope. And so Paul brings in this notion of justification, this word justification. We've been talking about it for a few weeks now. And we said that Billy Graham describes or defines the word justification like this, just as if I had not sinned. And that's a good definition. I mean, who's going to say Billy Graham, tell Billy Graham he's wrong, right? Uh, that, that's a good definition. It's a way to remember it, just as if I had not sinned. But I think that there's a deeper meaning to this word justification. And so how we have been defining it is that it's when God declares a believing sinner righteous. So when he looks at us as sinners, and it's the point, it's the moment that God looks at us as sinners and says, I no longer see your sin. You are now righteous. You are now my son. You are now my daughter. And that is what justification is. Despite our sin, that God chooses to uh, have fellowship with us. And so with this understanding, Romans chapter 5, when we get into hope now, he, he, he bases everything off justification here in the opening verses. And so we're going to look only at the first two verses of Romans chapter 5. Please stand in the honor of reading God's word. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. This is the word of the Lord. And he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Father, we thank you for this word. Now, Lord, I pray that you will open our hearts and minds, that we may hear a word from you. We ask these things in Christ's name, and all of God's people said, please be seated. As we look through this, and you, some, some ask, why is it that some weeks, Pastor, you, you, we talk about one verse. Some weeks, like today, we're talking two verses. Some weeks, like last week, we, we dealt with like 10 or 11 or, or 12 verses in total. Why is it that, that we're dealing with, with all these different verses? The type of preaching style that, that I like to preach is called expository preaching, expositional preaching. It means to expose the text. Uh, one of my mentors, the president of Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, Dr. Paige Patterson, he's spoken here uh, multiple times at a Loma Church. Very, very 
uh, intellectual man, but uh, very deep uh, in, in the Word of God. And, and he says this, he says, the, the goal of preaching is to help people read the Bible better. And that's what has been ingrained in me from the very beginning from my studies uh, with Dr. Patterson and, and onward is to, when I preach, the, the purpose of preaching, the reason why uh, we, we, we deal with certain verses, sometimes we only talk about a word, is because I want to help each of us to read the Bible better. I, when we leave this place, I want us to leave this place and say, you know what, I understand those verses. I didn't understand them when I came in, but, but I understand what Paul is, is saying to me today. I may not apply it to my life, but I understand it. And so that's the goal of preaching and, and why uh, some weeks we do one verse, some weeks we do two verses, some weeks we do multiple verses. It, it's all in how uh, it can cause us and help us to read the Bible better. And so as we talk about justification, there's three things that Paul mentions here in the text that are a result of our justification. Number one, our justification gives us peace with God. Notice what he says in verse one, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's very simple, very plain, very straightforward. Our, our justification gives us peace with God. The peace he's talking about here is so much more though than peace of mind. It's peace with God. Peace with God, uh, th th there's more comfort in those three words than any other three words that I think that we could ever utter. It may not mean much to us right now, peace with God, but I'm telling you that those are the three most powerful words that you will ever experience in your life. It's more important than uh, you are healed to a cancer patient. Those three words, those three words are more important than you are free to a death row inmate. Those three words, peace with God, brings the most comfort. Now, there is a difference between peace of God and peace with God. We noticed just a little bit ago in my, uh, when I came up and, and greeted everyone that prepositions are important, right? I know some of you came in late, but I said, I'm so glad that you came here to worship us this morning. I meant to say, I'm so glad that you came to worship with us. You see, prepositions are important. And so when we think of the peace of God, we, we think of peace of God, and, but, but Paul doesn't say he gives us the peace of God. He says he gives us peace with God. There's a difference. We all want the peace of God, the peace that passes understanding, peace that comes when storms of life come, peace when nothing makes sense, peace when all hell is breaking loose. That's the peace of God. But Paul is not referring here in the text in Romans 5, verse 1. He's not saying the peace of God. He's, he's talking about peace with God. I want us to understand this simple yet profound truth. You cannot have the peace of God until you first have peace with God. You cannot have that inner feeling of peace until you first make peace with him. You can't have the peace of God until you have peace with him. Now, how do we get the peace with God? Paul tells us in verse 1. Look at it. See what he says. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, peace with God comes through salvation. Peace with God comes through salvation. The peace of God is a result of salvation. How do you make peace with someone? Well, two sides have to sit down and discuss the problems, and then a solution is agreed upon. This is what happens at the end of every war. You sit around a table and two parties discuss the peace treaty. 
and then you, you discuss what it is that's going on, and, and you sign the peace treaty. There, there always has to be within peace as well. There always has to be a sacrifice. Some people have to sacrifice. Think about it. Peace requires sacrifice. How many here, just by a show of hands, have at one point or are currently serving in the armed forces? Have you ever served or are serving? Just raise your hand. Let me ask you who just raised your hand. Is freedom free? Is peace free? <laughs> no way. You men and women who just raised your hand understand the price that freedom has. You, you understand the price that peace has. You understand that peace always comes with a great sacrifice. Sacrifice of time. You've lost your friends. We've lost family members. In, in, in wartime, we understand that freedom and peace always comes with sacrifice. You cannot have peace with God without a sacrifice either. So God sits down at the negotiating table and says, I've, I've done all I can do to have peace with you. And understand, when you sit down at the negotiating table with God, they're, 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 the only side that really matters is his. <laughs> you can barter and bring anything that you want to to the negotiating table, but it's God's way and God, God's way alone. So when America, when the United States, the Allied forces won uh, World War II, and the Nazis and the Italians and the Japanese sat on the other side of that table... The good guys, the allied forces, are the ones that the ones who were victorious. They were the ones that set the peace deal. You see, that's, that's the position that God is in. God is in the position that he's already won the war. He's God. He doesn't need anything. We can't bring anything to the peace table. You see, God made the sacrifice necessary for us to have peace with him. He sent his son to die on the cross. Jesus is that sacrifice. And through Jesus Christ, verse 1 of, he, of, of Romans 5 says that we have peace with him through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That tells us that he has done everything that he needs to do in order for us to have peace with him. God sent his son to die on that cross to be our propitiation. We talked about that word a few weeks ago. It means to swallow up the wrath of God. Remember what we said at the beginning of this message. When I sin, when you sin, it's met with the wrath of God. The only way to get rid of that wrath is for Jesus' blood to cover us. It, it's the, he's the propitiation. He's the covering. He, he swallows up the wrath of God. You see, God can't change his ways. God can't change his ways. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God can't just look the other way when sin happens. When sin occurs, wrath comes out. God can't change his ways, but he can offer a solution. And so God, God sent his peace deal, a, a treaty that lasts for all of eternity, a way for we sinners, you and I, to, 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 to not have to face his wrath because of our sin, a way for us to be able to live for him for all of eternity. You say, yeah, that sounds good. I, I, I want some of that. <laughs> How do I get peace with God? Because I desperately, I, I'm turmoiled in my life. Things are happening. I want the peace of God, but in order to have peace of God, I have to have first peace with God. And so how do I get the peace with God? 
as we said, there are no negotiations at the peace table with God. You either accept his terms or reject his terms. It's pretty simple. If you want peace with God, then what you must do is you must surrender yourself to him. You, you, you surrender your life. You get yourself out of the driver's seat and you allow him to take the lead. You let go of it all. You take self out and give him control. And then you will have peace with God through Christ. And when you have peace with God, he will give you peace of God. Not only do we have peace with God, but we also see that justification brings, we can stand in him. We can stand in God. Notice what he says in verse 2. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Two important things I want to draw out of this verse right here for us. First of all, how do we stand? We have access by faith to stand. That's how we stand. Access. The, the, the way we stand is our access is through faith. This is a very important statement right here in the text. It, the, the Greek word for access, it means an introduction at the highest level. This word access in the Bible is only used three times in the whole New Testament. It's found in Ephesians 2.18, it's found in Ephesians 3.12, and it's also found right here in Romans 5.2. This word access, Ephesians 2.18, Ephesians 3.12, and Romans chapter 5, verse 2. All three occurrences talk about how we have access, how we have an introduction before the Creator God. We have an access to the king. This word access here, it literally means, it's a picture word, used to mean that we are ushered into the presence of a king, but not for the king to bring a dictation upon us or upon our lives, a decree upon us, but our access means that the king actually has a concern in his heart for what concerns our heart. That's what that word means. So three times in the New Testament, we're told that we have access to God and our access to him means that we get to have the opportunity to go before him and not for God to tell us what to do, but we have access to come into the very throne room of God because he has that big of a concern in his heart for what is on our heart. That's what our access does. How do we have access that way? Paul tells us through faith. Our access to him is by faith. I said it last week, everything rises and falls based on your faith. If you don't have faith in what you're praying about, then you need to stop praying. If you don't have faith that your marriage is going to come back together, then, then what are you doing? You see, faith is the building block for the soul. We gain access to God through faith. And Christian, when you rely on him, the Bible says that we get to go into the very throne room of heaven and you have audience with the king of creation every time you call out to him in prayer. You say, well, pastor, what do I do when I don't feel as if God is close to me when I pray? I understand that Paul says that I have access to him, but there are times when I pray and I don't feel as if God is very close. You may not feel it, but know that God is always near. Your Bible says in Psalm 145, the Lord is near to all who call on him. So the first thing that we stand in is that we have access. We understand we have access in faith, and we also stand in him based off of his grace. Now, here's a big question that I hear Christians ask from time to time. When I come to Christ, will it last? When I become a Christian, am I a Christian, am I a believer forever? Or do I need to be concerned about losing my salvation? I want us to listen to Scripture. 
The scripture says that when we are saved, that when we are justified, not only do we have peace with God, that's in past tense, but we also have stability. This word to stand here in Romans 5.2, it's, it's a verb in the perfect tense. You have um, all types of tenses of verbs, and this one is in the perfect. It's a perfect active verb. That may not mean anything to us, but, but it, it's, it's a very important thing. A perfect active verb literally means, so when he says we stand by grace, we stand in him by grace, what he is saying, if we spell out that word, it's what it says in Greek, and you translate it, but if we spell out this word, what he's literally saying is that there was a point when you stood up in his grace. And the perfect tense means that at that point, it will continue forever and ever and ever with no end. So we stand, but we continue to stand over and over and over. That's what Paul says here in Romans chapter 5, verse 2. He says, yes, you're going to mess up. Yes, you're going to fall. But, but through the grace of God, not your own works, not by anything you have done, not by anything that I have done, but only by the grace of God can we stand. And we continue to stand in his grace. You are saved. What saves you? By grace through faith. What sustains you? Grace through faith. In other words, you cannot lose your salvation. Once you become a child of the king, you cannot lose salvation. What is it that God says in Ephesians chapter 1? He says, in him or in Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, have you believed? You were, here it is, marked with him a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. You see, when 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 you gave your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. Jesus came into your life. This is what, how, how, how children say it. What the Bible teaches, the Holy Spirit comes into our life and, and he comes into our heart and he seals us. Ephesians 1 says that he sealed us until the day of our redemption, until we can acquire possession of it. So he gave us his salvation. He gave us a piece of heaven and you have become his child. What is it that Paul says that when you become a follower of Christ, he adopts us into his family? You become a child of the Father? Now, your father may be dead. Your father may be gone. Your father may not live here. You may have a good father. You may have had a bad father. I, you know, we don't, we don't get to choose who our father is. But is there a way for you to stop being the son or the daughter of your dad? You can move to Timbuktu, but he's still going to be your dad. He can die, but he's still going to be your dad. You can pass away, but, but he's still going to be your dad. You see, there's nothing you can do to stop being a child of your father. In the same way, when you become a child of the king, there is nothing you can do to stop being a child of the king. You can't lose it. Now, can you break your father's heart? You better believe it. So, pastor, what happens when a Christian sins? If I can't lose my salvation, I don't have to get saved over and over and over again. I don't have to be baptized over and over and over again. If, if I'm saved and my salvation lasts from this point, remember it's the present active tense, it happens at this point and it continues on over and over and over, does that mean that I can live however I want to? Paul deals with this twice in the book of Romans. He said, absolutely not. Now, when you sin, when I sin, we don't step out of our salvation. Okay, follow this. 
when we sin as Christians, we don't step out of our salvation. What we step out of is the will of God. And so you break his heart. When we sin, we don't lose our salvation, but we, we lose his will. We, we step outside of his will. And so now that, that's what sin is, right? Choosing our will over his will. And so when I choose my will over his will, then my direction is going to be going this way when God wants me to be going that way. The Apostle Paul said, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. We have stability. The third aspect that we find here in Romans chapter 5, not only, not only do we have the stability, we can stand in his grace, we have peace with him, but finally, we have the hope of God. The last part of verse 2 says, wherein we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I want you to think about these three points that we just brought out here today. What God has done for each one of us, if you are a Christian, you are justified. He has declared you a sinner, and yes, you're still a sinner. As long as you're alive, you're going to be a sinner. He declares you a sinner Justified. He declares you a sinner righteous. He declares you a sinner marred with sin. He declares you spotless, clean, righteous. And that covers our past. That covers our past. We have peace with him. It covers our present. Remember, it's a point. It's in the present tense. Uh, perfect tense is a point, and then it continues on. So we, we can stand in him. But our justification doesn't just impact our past where we have peace with God. It doesn't just impact our present where we can stand in him. It also impacts our future that we can have the hope in him. Now I want you to know something. I want you to make a very clear distinction in your mind this morning about this word hope. I want you to note, and this is important... I, I don't want us to go into an English lesson here, okay? But it's important for us to understand this because we have a misconception of this word hope. Biblical hope is a noun and not a verb. This is very, very important. Biblical hope, when you find hope in the Bible, hope is a noun, it is not a verb. Hope is not an action, it's a possession. Hope is something you have. Hope is something you possess. Hope is not something you do. Hope is not something we do. Hope is something we have, and that something is the hope in Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is important for us to distinguish because so many people think that hope is, is just, we, we, we make it a verb. We, we hope so. We, we think so. We, we, we wish so. We make it a verb. I hope I can get married. I hope I can get that job. I hope I can make enough money this month. I, I hope, uh, my, I, I hope that, that these things will pass. I hope I get to heaven. That's not biblical hope. Hope is not a verb. Hope is a noun. It means confident assurance. Hope is a possession, not an action. Hope is something sure. In Hebrews chapter 11, we, we call Hebrews chapter 11 the great Hall of Faith, right? We said the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Faith. He, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews starts out Hebrews chapter 11. He gives us a definition of faith, and, and here's what he says. He says, faith is the substance of things, what? Hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. 
And then he goes in and he gives us all of these Old Testament people, men and women, who, who lived their life by faith and how God used their faith to, to, to bring glory and honor to his name. And so we have all these people who live by faith. And so we call this the great faith chapter of the Bible, but that's not right. Hebrews chapter 11, yes, it deals with faith. But the main thrust of this chapter is not on the word faith, but on the word hope. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. If you remove hope out of the equation, faith is useless. Yes, they all live by faith, but if they didn't have that hope, if, if they didn't have that substance of, of what they hoped for, then their faith would have been dead. You see, life is all about hope. Faith is the action. Hope is the possession. As we said, faith is the building block for the soul, but if faith is the building blocks, if faith is the foundation for the soul, hope is the mortar that holds it all together. Why do people give up on life and marriage? Why do people give up on commitments? Why do people give up on their church? Why do people leave the church? Not because of lack of faith. That's ridiculous. Jesus said, if you have a faith as small as a grain of a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, be removed. Everybody in the history of this world has that measure of faith. I don't care if you're an atheist, an agnostic, a Buddhist. Everybody has faith. People don't give up on their marriage. People don't give up on their church. People don't give up on life for a lack of faith. I don't think so much that we have a faith problem. I think that we have a hope problem. When you lose sight of hope, when hope is gone, then faith is useless. Think of it like this. If faith is a car and hope is gasoline, when you run out of hope, then your faith cannot function the way it was intended to. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Our hope in verse 2 is based on the glory of God. The, the word glory here means the state of things as God desires them. So good, triumphant, triumphant over evil. Sin has no place. Failure is, is not an option. Therefore, our, our hope comes out of our view of God and that goodwill will always prevail. But can I be honest with you? I rarely see Christians functioning this way. I truly believe that most Christians have lost their hope. Therefore, because Christians have lost their hope, their faith is not being used as it was intended to be used. What causes us to lose hope? Life. Life has a way of beating us up, doesn't it? Life, things, stuff, heartache, pain, death, disease, the grind, day by day by day, being put down, being made fun of, being laughed at. These, these things have a way of, of, of stripping us from our hope. Most Christians today have lost their hope. We've been so beaten up by life that our hope and the goodness and the glory of God, we're blinded. We, we don't see it anymore. All we see is what we see in the world, death and, and destruction and hurt and pain and lostness and heartache. These 
are the things that consume so many because it's what we see on a daily basis. We, we've got faith. I have enough faith. I only need enough faith as small as a mustard seed to move that mountain. I've got enough faith. But do you have hope? Have you lost your hope? There are things that we're putting into our vehicle of faith, but they're no good. If you put water into your gas tank in your car, is it going to go? What if you put sugar? What if you put uh, orange juice? What, what, what if you put Pepsi or Coke? What, what, what if you put what, whatever you put in that gas tank? Anything you put in that gas tank, except for that which it was intended to use, your car will be useless. So many of us, I don't miss this, so many of us are putting junk into our life into our faith. We're, we're, we're trying to fuel our faith with, with money, with fortune, with fame, with popularity. We're, 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 we're putting our, instead of hoping in the goodness of God, we're, we're filling our vehicle of faith with, with things that our, our, our vehicle wasn't intended to run on. And so that's why we're, we're sputtering about. That's, that's why you feel stranded on the side of the road and you say, I, I've got faith. God, I, I got enough faith that you can do this, but why am I still stranded? Why is my car not going? Because maybe, just maybe, you are not filling your vehicle with what it was intended to be filled with. You're hoping in the wrong things. I'm not saying that you're doing bad things. I'm not saying that you're a bad person. But I am suggesting that we all do a self-evaluation. It's important. Where is your hope? What consumes you? What I believe we have today are people, Christians, who have been beaten, so, been beaten up so much that we've lost our hope. We've lost our vision. Our destiny is blurry. Therefore, our faith has no real gas to move us down the road. So what we have to do is we have to come back to the place of hope. We need to come back to the place where we dream again, where we trust God again, where we believe in, in, in the big, bold, and exciting things, where our hope can be placed in the supernatural things that he has promised. So let me quickly give you just three or four things that, that will help us get our hope back. Number one, get in the word. Get in the word. If you've lost your hope, chances are you're plugging into the world and not plugging into the word. You see, the Bible is where our hope is found. Now, I, I personally have been in a place where I've lost my hope, and, and I, I was still doing my Bible study. I mean, I'm reading all these verses in the Bible every day, but I still lost my hope. You see, you can read God's word and not allow it to affect you and impact you. We can be so much like the Pharisees that, that we can hear God's word, we can read God's word, but we don't have to necessarily apply God's word. Those of you who are raised in mainline denominations, most of them did this uh, probably 30, 40 years ago. I know Southern Baptist churches did this. When you came into the church, this was long before they had online giving and, and text to give, where, where if you wanted to give to your church, you actually had to bring your pocketbook into the church. 
and you had an envelope in the, the pew in front of you, and on that envelope, when you pulled it out, it, it asked you questions. See if you remember some of these questions. Did you have your quiet time this week? Did you bring your tithe this week? Did you go to, uh, uh, what did we call Sunday nights? Uh, uh, prayer meeting. Did you go to prayer meeting this week? Uh, did you read your Bible this week? And so that, that's not a bad thing, right? It, it's good to be held accountable to things, but, but what can happen is that we can get to the place in our spiritual journey where, where the things that we do just become checks on a list. We know this, that relationships require more than just checking things off, right? Men, on your anniversary, I hope and pray that your anniversary is not just a checklist. <laughs> Told my wife I loved her three times today. Check. Bought her flowers. Check. I sit down and I, I sat down, I turned the TV off, and, and I looked at her for 20 minutes. I don't really hurt, I didn't really hear her, but I, I looked at her for 20 minutes. Check. You see, that, that's preposterous to think about, right? That, that, that's ridiculous to think that relationships can just be a checklist of things that we check off. And, and how much more ridiculous do we, do we come to God? But that's what we do at times. You see, you can be reading the word but still be in the world. You can be reading the word but have lost all hope. Allow the word of God to transform you. And when the word of God begins to transform you, you will have hope. Over and over in the Bible, the, 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 the Bible tells us this, Psalm 119, verse 74, I put my hope in your word. Psalm 119, verse 81, I put my hope in your word. Psalm uh, chapter 130, verse 5, in his word, I put my hope. Get in the word. Get out of the world and get in the word. Number two, remember who you are and whose you are. If you're a Christian, Satan wants to rob you of your hope. He can't have your faith. He can't have your heart but he can rob you of your hope. He, he can rob you of your vision. Does that make sense? He, 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 can, he can so cloud your present that you cannot see the future. He can steal your hope. So if you've lost it, remember who you are. Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill us with joy and peace and believing that we may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a great verse. If you're looking for a verse to memorize, that's a great one. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope. It, says, it tells us right there in that verse that God is a God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace and believing that we may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Know who you are. You are a child of the God of hope. And know whose you are. You're a child of the King. He has important plans for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I don't know your mess-ups and your failures. We all have them. But God uses our past to bring us into our present. And as I share with people all the time, your future does not have to be defined by your past. Your future is going to define, is going to be defined in who you are today. Change today. Look to him today. Number three, praise him in the good and the bad. 
Psalm 42, 11 says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Job, he, he lost everything, right? But despite him losing everything, he said, The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Stop trying to figure out why things happened the way they did. Also, quit beating up yourself over past mistakes. Yeah, you messed up. So what? Get in line. What are you going to do? Quit? You going to quit on life? You just want to give up? Walk away? Do you realize that God can and will use your mistakes as a powerful testimony for him? Let me take this one step further. God allowed you to make that mistake, and he still provided a way out. He saw you making that mistake, and he still provided a way for you to get out of it. Look at Jonah. I just preached the book of Jonah a few months ago. You know the story. If you don't know the story, go online and, and listen to the sermons. Here's a man who God told to go to Nineveh, and Jonah said, no, I don't want to go that way. I want to go that way. And so he got on a boat, and he began to sail to the city of Tarshish. Jonah was thrown overboard, and your Bible says, your Bible says, God had prepared a great fish to be there where Jonah was thrown over and just swallowed him whole. Was that a coincidence? <laughs> Isn't that something? Of all the places in the vast ocean for that fish to be, it was right there at that time in the middle of Jonah's biggest mistake. God still provided salvation for Jonah. And God used that story to bring salvation to others. You see, God was present. He provided a way for that man to still be used by the Lord. You messed up? Okay. We've all fallen. But don't let your past rule over your future. Number four, and we'll close with this one, trust in the right things. It's, it's easy to be led astray. In this world, it's so deceiving. What, what we're told is right in this world is wrong. What we're told is up in this world is actually down. What is left is right. What is white is black. Uh, the, 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 there's, there's so many ways to lose hope. And so many of us have lost our hope because we've allowed our hope to be hijacked by some other God. Whether it's money, fame, fortune, relationship, popularity. We're, we're told that these things are to be the driving force, but that's all wrong. That's all wrong. We, we, we have to get it right. We have to trust in the right things. Let me give you a personal example. We'll close with this story. So at our house, I decided that I wanted to put lights out in uh, the backyard of our house so we can just flip a switch and and turn these lights on and so we can see uh, what's going on out there and we have people over we want to be able to walk out in the grass we, we want to have that ability and so the lights are already out there but uh, the previous homeowner our home was built in the early 80s and so at some point they put the light post out there but in order to turn the light post on I had to go into the uh, the, 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 the breaker box and flip a breaker to turn the lights on I want to switch, and so I, I said, okay, I'm going to do this myself, and uh, found the lights. Why are you laughing? <laughs> so I, I found the lights, and Sarah takes the kids, and they go somewhere else because dealing with electricity, and she's just scared. And I, I was wondering why she asked if our life insurance policy was up to date, um, but... <laughs> 
so I, I, I get in this little junction box. You know what a junction box is? It's just a little box on the side of the house that has all these wires in it. So I get down, I unscrew it, and I pull out the wires, and it's what I expect. There's some white wires, some black wires, some copper wires, but there was a black wire that was in there that I didn't understand why it was in there. And so I, I, I just tugged a little bit, and it, it started coming down. I thought, well, that's really weird. This wire shouldn't be that easy to pull. So I pulled it. I pulled it, I pulled it some more, and out came a two-foot black snake. It was, it was a snake's tail. Yeah, that, that was not my reaction. My reaction, here comes a snake. Here goes Wesley, steps back. I had a rake, turn the wrong way. Boom, wham. Went forward, boom. Stepped on a saw, cut my toe. <laughs> that snake just slithers away. Headache, bleeding toe. I got a moral out of this story, though. I, I've, this happened a couple of months ago. I've been praying for two months that God will give me a moral out of this story. This, God, there's something. This doesn't just happen. Here's the moral. You ready? Just because it may look right doesn't mean it's right. And if you go after that which is wrong, in the end, it's going to hurt you. Just because it may seem right doesn't mean that it's right. And if you go after that which is wrong, you're going to come to the place where you realize this is not good. This will hurt me. The Bible says in Psalm 130, verse 7, put your hope in the Lord, for the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. 